Today, Damon Hill on Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. This is F1 Nation. After last week's blockbuster, welcome to the sequel. And they leave the green with Hamilton getting a good getaway. Sebastian Vettel's lost his rear wing. It's serene for Lewis Hamilton. It's chaos absolutely everywhere else. Painful stuff for Formula One's most famous team. This is on board. There's no grip there, George. He's into the gravel. Sergio Perez, he's ripped off the front wing. Are we going to go three wide? Norris has got more speed. Lewis Hamilton takes the chequered flag and he's got past Lance Stroll. Lando Norris has done it again. Lando Norris is closing in on board with Lando Norris. He's going to get him in the final corner of the Grand Prix. Unbelievable. From floor minus two in my hotel, somewhere in the Styrian Mountains, my name's Tom Clarkson. And from my kitchen table, my name's Alex Jakes. Great to have you with us, folks, uh, for lots of F1 chat after the opening two Grand Prix of the season. So I'm in exactly the same place that I've been recording these podcasts. TC, you are not in the same place. You are, there's a beautiful view out of the window I can see of the Styrian Mountains. You're in a strange part of the hotel. Where are you? Where are you speaking to us from? Floor minus two, sat next to the router. <laughs> the Wi-Fi router. And it's still not great because, do you know, I feel like I've done the Austrian Grand Prix properly. The first time I came here was 1997 and I've stayed in lots of different places. But getting that week in between these two races has been fantastic. And where I'm staying this year is new. It's a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Anyone at home who wants to look at a map, it's 40 k's from the circuit next to a place called Kleining. Just think of Christian Clean. So it's probably cleaning, actually. Um, and it's 900 meters above sea level. There isn't another house around the hotel. Oh, As you say, the view is fantastic. And they say that for five months of the year, you can't access the hotel because of the snow. Very pretty. Only the glamour locations for F1 Nation. It's how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I feel like I was talking to Alex Wurtz, ex-Austrian racing driver, of course, about it. And he just said, you've got to remember that Jochen Rint, Helmut Marko, Dietrich Mateschitz, they're all from this area. So you sort of, it's a very rural part of Austria, obviously, but it's, it's, you start to appreciate where the sort of historical figures in Austrian motorsport have come from. And it, and it is just based out of a farming community. Desperate to get away from somewhere where you can't move about five months of the year, I imagine, yes. is some of the motivation. It's a beautiful part of the world. It is a great place to be recording a podcast. We had an awful lot to talk about for the first ever Styrian Grand Prix. What stood out for you, Tom? As you know, Alex, I love qualifying because the drivers have nowhere to hide, rain or shine. They have, you know, one lap at the end of Q3 to get the job done or whatever your goal is, if your goal is to get through from Q1 to Q2. But... Go and throw in the amount of water that we had here on Saturday. It's extraordinary, the climate here, actually. We've had two storms in the last week, interspersed with temperatures of 30 degrees and bright sunshine. But Saturday was definitely the, the rainy end of that scale. And visibility was nothing. And we sat there at lunchtime on Saturday at the track thinking there's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to run that session because it was just rivers everywhere and the drivers were kicking around not sure what was going to happen obviously fp3 had been cancelled so suddenly they get the go-ahead the pressure's on and you suddenly see this feverish activity in the pits and two standout performances for me alex were well lewis hamilton it needs no introduction he was quickest in q1 q2 q3 and then to go and put 1.2 seconds on 
the whole field at the end of Q3. I don't care that he's driving the best car. That makes no difference in those conditions. It really doesn't. And as Toto Wolff said, it was otherworldly. So he was just sensational. Um, and it must have been thrilling to commentate on. It really was. What wasn't so thrilling is that I, like you, believed that we were going to get rained out for the rest of the day. And I may or may not have had a slightly larger lunch than I would normally have in commentary. <laughs> I was then faced with talking for an hour, well, nearly an hour before we got qualifying going. Then a brilliant session, so the adrenaline hits. There's a little bit of a lull. And then we've got the Formula 2 race. That was a full hour of filling with nothing to talk about. At one point, I was forced to commentate on the medical car going up the hill, assessing how wet it was. And I was like, we're never getting going. It is torrential. We've got to think of the driver's safety. We'll come back tomorrow. What time am I going to have to get up on Sunday morning for us to fit this all in before the Grand Prix? And then we get the message from race control. We are going racing. And then we get through all of that. It's a brilliant race. We get a first-time winner. It's a really engrossing F2 feature race. And then we get one of the strangest podiums I've ever seen. They run such an extravagant F2 podium on the Saturday at the moment as a test run for Formula One on Sunday. But unfortunately, someone had overdone it with the smoke machines. So we had loads of them for F2. So poor old Guan Yu Zhou, Yuki Tsunoda and Robert Schwartzman, who are on the podium, spent all of their afternoon barely being able to see because of the torrential conditions and then got blinded by this smoke <laughs> machine. And that's enough. And then we unleashed the remote controlled trophy delivery system. It's just classic Formula 2, Tom. It's where you see the things that are heading to Formula 1 first and you saw it again with that podium. We couldn't believe what we're seeing. How brave was the person in that meeting who said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but here's what I think we should do with the trophies. Does anyone know how to use a remote-controlled car? <laughs> and of course, on Sunday with Lewis, it didn't quite make it to the, um, to, to the number one slot, they, did it? Lewis had to step down from they, the podium. They got a little bit nervous, didn't they? They got a little bit nervous when it, when it came to the, to the big deal. But there you are. Another guy who really stood out for me on Saturday um, in those conditions was George Russell, 2018 F2 champion. Now, he qualified 12th in that Williams. It was Williams's first Q2 appearance since Brazil 2018. And he was absolutely sensational. So composed, so decisive in his feedback, according to Dave Robson, the chief engineer at Williams. Let's not forget, he was just 0.1 of a second away from Q3 behind Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari. It was an extraordinary performance. And in the way that those conditions, you know, that the cream really rises, I believe, in, in the wet. And I think George did himself a lot of favours on Saturday. Just stunning performance. That's a, a driver with a huge amount of potential who has been stuck, unable to show it for the first year of his Formula One career. He was never going to miss that opportunity on Saturday. And one of the buzz topics around here this week has been what's Sebastian Vettel going to do next year? You know, is he going to be able to muscle his way back into Red Bull or is he going to go and take a seat at Racing Point although Otmar Saf now the, the team principal has said not but for me as big a talking point is what is George Russell going to do next year because that'll be his third season in Formula One and I feel he served his apprenticeship now and really could do with a, a decent car and um, where's he going to end up? Well, those are big questions. I want to mention one more highlight, Tom. I want to mention the breakout star of Formula One in 2020. Not Lando Norris. He's engineer, Will Joseph, 
who has this beautiful way of delivering so much information when it is so intense on track. And I've been so impressed with the way that driver and engineer work together that Will Joseph is getting a montage. Everything looks fine. Game on. Three laps to go. Scenario seven. Scenario seven. G3. G3. Single press overtake. Stay in scenario seven. Single press overtake. Scenario eight out of turn four. Single press overtake. Scenario eight. Perez is really slow in front. Be careful of him. Keep pushing. Press and hold overtake here. Five seconds. Press and hold overtake. P5. P5. Scenario one, please. What a race. What a race. Yes. Yes. And you know the lovely thing is that he's such a nice guy as well. He's a complete nerd. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me saying that, Will. He flies helicopters uh, in his free time. So he, he's, he's a nerd about choppers, but passionate about all things mechanical. And you, you really sense that he has got a, he's building up a, a sensational relationship with Lando. Well, and we shouldn't underestimate the importance of delivering that information in the way that he does, because this is Davide Valsecchi saying that he wouldn't have wanted me, Tom, as an engineer in his racing career. I agree with the driver, too much energy, like you're doing, Alex. Oh, I think I would have made a fine engineer. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Davide. How many of you, F1 Nation, have bilingual abilities? We're sure many of you do, you're a bright lot. And we're also sure there are some of you out there, like us, who are always keen to learn something new and mastering a new language is always high on that list. Well, Babbel can help you do just that. Babbel is designed to get you speaking a new language within weeks with daily 10 to 15 minute lessons. That's all it takes to help you feel confident speaking in your chosen language. There are 14 different languages to choose from, including French, Spanish, Italian, German, Portuguese, and Swedish. The beauty of Babbel is that it teaches real-life conversations, so you learn through interactive dialogue, while its built-in speech recognition technology helps you improve your accent and pronunciation. What's more, the lessons are created by over 100 language experts, yes, real people. And you can really tell the difference this makes to the learning experience compared to relying on translation machines. With each lesson, you definitely start to feel more confident that you're learning a skill that you can easily take out and put into practice in the real world. Babbel is available as an app or online, so no matter where you log on to a lesson, your progress will be synced across all of your own devices. Right now, Babbel is offering you six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription with the promo code nation go to babble.co.uk slash play and use the promo code nation on your six month subscription that's b-a-b-b-e-l.co.uk slash play promo code nation well i think it's time to introduce this week's guest he's known these days as sky sports f1's expert pundit people of a certain age also remember him for 22 victories 20 pole positions and the 1996 world champion it's a very warm welcome to damon hill damon it is lovely to have you on the show i think we have to talk about qualifying don't we in the rain visibility i don't know how it looked through the tv but certainly at the track couldn't see more than 200 meters. I mean, how tough is it to qualify like we saw on Saturday? I think it's probably one of the biggest tests because uh, in a race, you know, if you have a spin, you can kind of recover. The time critical nature with three different sessions, there's so much pressure to get things done. And every lap 
the conditions change. So you, you have to be running. You have to not make a mistake, but you have to put in a quick time and they can't see what they get. And they've got all the cars in the early runs anyway, the, the Q1. They had all the cars on the track at the same time. So visibility was appalling. I, I, it was very good entertainment, but I think everybody rec- recognized that you couldn't see. I mean, you couldn't see anything on the telly. So let alone, you know, you could imagine what it was like for the drivers. And intense pressure for an entire hour to perform, not, not just keep it on the island, but to put in the quickest lap you possibly can. That's a whole different game. Anybody who looking at that would, would have a higher respect and regard for what Formula One drivers are capable of doing. And, and Lewis obviously just floats to the top every time. You know, he was, uh, you know, th- there was c- great performances by Gasly, I thought. He showed, so certain people, George Russell, Ocon did a good job too. So it showed the drivers who've got that kind of, that kind of Sterling Moss type flair, you know, that uh, ability to stick it out on the edge of the branch and, and manage to, to see it through like, like Senna had and people like that. This is Lewis's 14th season in Formula One. And I think at the start of each year, his rivals are thinking, are we going to see any cracks? Is he getting a little bit long in the tooth? If there are any cracks in Lewis Hamilton, that's the sort of day, those are the sort of conditions that we're going to see them, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't seem to be showing those cracks. He doesn't seem to be doing silly mistakes. I mean, clearly the previous weekend, he had a little collision with Albon. And you might have said, well, that was... You know, clumsiness some sort, sort of starts to creep in after 35. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think with, that, with Lewis, he probably, you're probably not going to see clumsiness until you're uh, well into your uh, late 30s or 40s. And that's where we're going to be. It'd be interesting to see whether um, Fernando is able to perform at that high level. Obviously, when Michael came back, he, you know, he, he started to do silly things, didn't he? And I don't know what happens as we get older uh, physiologically, but um, in someone's in prime health and uh, the peak of their fitness and they are, they've got that beautiful balance of it, of maturity experience and, and also still have speed. I think, I think Lewis has got quite a few years left in him. I haven't seen the, these cracks. In fact, listening to him talking in one of the interviews, he was complimented on his performance and he, and he was talking about how he almost can't believe it himself you know he he doesn't know how he does it and I think that's fascinating I think he at least least acknowledges there's this kind of gift that he has which he doesn't properly understand how hard do drivers work at it do you think it's all just for show and in fact he is there thinking about it the whole time going through data were you like that did you think about it the whole time yeah I like being involved in in what I was doing I'm, I'm probably I prefer to be intensely involved in one thing than, than have lots of different things. I'm trying to, you know, that spinning plate thing where the guy runs about. I, but with Lewis, whether he, I mean, he often talks about his engineers as being very bright guys who talk about stuff that he doesn't completely understand. I'm sure there's an element, there's a portion of what he does as a racing driver, which he's just not too interested in. That's something he'll leave to the, to the boffins. And I think that I was very interested as a driver at, in, in how the car could be made to work to help me because I knew I was okay as a driver. I knew I was quick, but I, would, I was always looking for that thing that the car could do for you because the car, you can unlock its potential or you can harmonize the car with the way you drive and, and that can give you benefits. And as, as, a, as a driver, you often experience times when you get in the car and you go, oh, that's the thing I've been looking for. You, oh, thank 
that's and it's such a joy to not have to fight little weird things that happen with the car. It could be something like brake temperatures, for example. I mean, brake temperatures are so key, especially as they're braking so late now in Formula One. If you don't get a good feel for the brakes, it's, uh, and you can't modulate the brake pedal in the way you like, you know, it's all over the place. The way the tires, tire pressures, they seem like minute things, but they're, they're very critical and, um, and can deliver incredible gains if you can get them right. Do you see this as a two-horse race now between Hamilton and Bottas? We've, we know, we're, okay, I appreciate it's been the same circuit for two weekends, but can you see Red Bull getting close enough or is it just the two Mercs? I think different circuits are needed. You know, I think that uh, uh, the A1 ring is, uh, sorry, the Red Bull ring uh, is... Uh, Showing your age there. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Red Bull, it's the Eisterreich ring. Um, and uh, I don't... I'm not a fan of that track. I, I think it's produced some good races, but there's not enough of it. And, and what there is of it, there is, you know, it's in two very distinct parts. There's, there's accelerate, brake, turn, and then there's a few wiggly bits, which are quite exciting. But it, it doesn't show up a big enough differential. I mean, that's why I think you've seen Lewis not qualify on pole as often there as he has done other places. There's just not enough to be able to show your ability. It sort of sorts out the cars in order of their performance. Whereas someone like Hungary or other circuits with a little bit more technical trickery to it, they, they do give opportunities. I mean, certainly Red Bull at Hungary, I would think would be a more competitive car. And that would be incredibly good news for the championship if, if the Red Bull does have the same sort of pace as they had one year ago, Damon. If it is the Mercedes having a private battle between Hamilton and Bottas, from Bottas's point of view, how does he set about improving his level to one of the highest levels of driving that we've ever seen in the sport? Yes, that's the problem. That is a, that's a very good question. And I think from a, from a, tri- from a the, our championship point of view, I think Lewis is very comfortable. And I was thinking this this morning, I was thinking, actually, do you know what we really want is to make him feel a little bit uncomfortable? Wouldn't it be great if you had Max alongside Lewis? You know, I'm sorry, Lewis is on track to break Schumacher's record and it's fantastic. He's had a fantastic run of results uh, Nico had to had to push him really hard and, and pull out quite a few. Perhaps he was uncomfortable with some of the the tricks he pulled on on Lewis to try and uh, get an advantage in that team. Lewis is a very hard man to beat, but he can be beaten. And I don't know if Valtteri is the guy to do it. Uh, um, and I'm sorry to say that I know that Valtteri is he's a very honourable and um, you know a driver of a high caliber and stuff. But I don't see how Lewis is going to be put under pressure with the current team lineup. With the one-year contract, does Valtteri have to accept that to make things uncomfortable for Lewis in the way that you referenced there with Nico Rosberg, does he have to potentially risk leaving the team? He just needs to find out how to pile pressure on Lewis. And if that means, I don't know, you know, doing psychological stuff that, that, that Nico alluded to uh, to make Lewis lose his equilibrium, then maybe he has to do that. I mean, it's not something I would do, but I mean, it's... it's I don't know how you do it, frankly. I don't know what you do to, <laughs> to upset uh, Lewis. He seems pretty impregnable, actually. What sort of approach would Valtteri have taken over the winter? What would you analyse? Take us behind the scenes there, Damon. What would you analyse for improvement from a driver's point of view? Well, I haven't been closely involved in modern Formula One data that they have available to them. And I've never, I've had a small quick go on a sim and it made me feel very sick after about half a lap. So I got out immediately. Um, so, uh, 
so uh, but mental getting yourself mentally uh happy i know that um you know we don't want to talk about people's personal lives but so his, his whole life is going the right way you know those sort of things can bring the best out of you and i've heard him talk about looking at data that where he could have picked up some time where he where he lacked last year and then where, where he's worked on with his engineers to find a little bit more time in at slower corners or the entry to slower corners i think it was you know you never stop looking for small gains but some sort of confidence you know i think we're all capable of extraordinary things we we never realized possible and it's finding a way to unlock that next level if someone was to you know hypnotize uh, valtteri and say listen valtteri you have to beat lewis hamilton otherwise the rest of your life is going to be a misery <laughs> i don't know whether you can psychologically unlock the next level that i think every driver's got it but it's accessing it and and these people like lewis can get there they might even have another level they haven't even been to themselves yet I mean, that's, that's the worrying thing is that I don't know whether, whether Lewis has actually been pushed that hard, to be honest, sometimes. I don't know what you do, Valtteri, but he's got to find something, uh, inspiration from somewhere. Talking of drivers who have pushed Lewis Hamilton in the past, we got the news that Fernando Alonso is returning to the Formula One grid next year. Were you surprised by that news? Um, I wasn't, wasn't. I mean, I know that it was unfinished business with, with Fernando. I think he hankered after more. I think he felt when he left very like Michael in some ways, he left when he was, wasn't ready to leave and it didn't end in the way that he wanted it to. We all want a happy ending <laughs> to our career. I'm not sure, but like politicians, it always ends in defeat, doesn't it? Uh, you know, someone like Fernando Alonso has shown he's competitive. He's been out there a bit like Kimmy did. He's gone and done Paris Dakar. He's gone, done rallying, done IndyCar. He's done other things. Showed he's well capable of competing at the highest level and other things. But there's unfinished business here with Formula One. And I think he'd be good for, for Renault. I think it's a good fit. I think it's exactly what they want. I think that kind of could, it could inspire maybe a little bit more attention from Renault themselves, because obviously the Renault board seemed to be quite important in, in getting things done with the Renault team. And having a guy who, who they enjoyed a lot of success with in the past um, maybe maybe the thing that uh, that is the missing ingredient in in um, in the Renault team at the moment. Are you slightly surprised, given what we've seen from McLaren in terms of the change of attitude, the change of atmosphere? I'd say at that team that Renault have decided to bring back someone who has such a reputation for straight talking and brutal honesty on the team radio that they felt the need to address it in their <laughs> PR material on the day that he was announced as a, as a driver. Is he quite the right person to, to drive a midfield team, Ford? I think Fernando's learned a lot of lessons, maybe the hard way. I don't think there are, there are clearly a couple of big players who've, who've uh, felt the, the sting of his uh, ire in, uh, in his comments namely Ferrari and Honda, but he's not afraid of taking on the big guys. But uh, you don't get, you know, maybe this is the last bite of the cherry and I think that he probably would prefer to, for it to work out. You really do need someone who doesn't flannel people, doesn't give a load of woolly information to, to the team. Teams need direction and drivers like Fernando Lotzer can, can give them direction. Do you think he might be a player manager? Could, could we see him coming in and actually take, uh, taking on a, a management yeah. role as well as a driving role. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good observation, Tom. I think that he's that kind of personality. I think he's someone who likes to be in control. He's 
he seems to be able to shoulder responsibility and and um, and do the straight talking with the with the big guy. So, I mean, when you think what he did with, with Ron Dennis, I I mean, he's got he's got more balls than me anyway. Um, <laughs> From one champion to another, we've got Alonso returning. Is it time, Damon, for Sebastian Vettel to retire? I don't think it's time for him to retire at all. I, th- I it's it's all rather sad that it's come to this. I think he's a little bit been caught out by maybe not not reading the the signs well enough and sometimes perhaps presuming he he was uh, of an influence than, on, on performance than, than perhaps a driver can be at all I mean you know he was with a very very competitive team at a very special time and they dominated the the sport I'm not saying that it was easy but I think that very early in his career he bagged four world championships and that can kind of make you feel like well it maybe it's you know it is all my work uh, but you can't just go to another team and take it with you it's it was part of that package so going to ferrari the way it politically worked out you know he was caught out a little bit in the in the changes in the top at uh, at, at ferrari it wasn't like michael who took a whole team of people to fry with him he had that backup. He had that 100% support from Ross Braun and, and, and the team. His, his flank was exposed. Uh, but then that is not to say that he has not also made some howling errors as a driver, which he regrets, I'm sure. But nevertheless, they cost the team, the Ferrari team, quite a lot of points. So, but, I mean, I hope he's not going to be just floating around looking for a drive. It would be good to see him get a bit of spring in his step again. And um, why not put him in a Mercedes? I don't know. I- <laughs> Damon, do you have a little bit of sympathy for Sebastian Vettel, given the situation you found yourself in in 1996? Slightly different circumstance. He's a champion. You were becoming a champion that year. And we've got the strange situation of him going door to door, looking looking for a drive when he's been such a great ambassador for Formula One. Yeah, it does. It does spring out of nowhere you know sitting at home and you've got a contract where you're waiting for the phone to ring to say we need to talk about next year and suddenly they say uh, there is no next year and it can be the first you've heard of it I, you know i think sebastian has kept himself to himself he's not involved in the, making himself a public figure in the way that a lot of drivers do nowadays and i think that is part of this role now as a driver is that you share your life a little bit more sponsors want it it gives you some collateral as well in the in the sport, in the negotiation package, because if you're popular, then teams recognize that. So I'm thinking someone like Fernando Alonso compared to Sebastian, you know, Fernando's got quite a lot of, for the sport, for Formula One, he's an important draw, as is Lewis, massive, you know, and, and Daniel Ricciardo and drivers who've engaged with their public uh, have generally had quite a lot more pull. Um, and Sebastian maybe has missed a little bit of a trick there by by being quite a slightly reclusive. It's not too late. He's a very personable guy. He's very good at doing stand-up comedy as well. So, um, you know, he, he's got a lot going for him. He's an interesting person, but he he might have to share a bit of that um, in future. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like he's from a sort of bygone era. If there's a fine line between exposing yourself and, and turning yourself into a personality a la Kardashian's. But it is important, you know, uh, the, the kind of characters we have in the sport are part of the show. People want to know who to get behind. And, you know, we want to get behind Sebastian. He's got the talent, he's got the experience, he's got the ability, but we don't know what else we get. <laughs> if you yeah. see what I mean? Damon, just before we lose you, can we just throw it forward to next weekend, Hungarian Grand Prix? First up, Damon, you had an incredible record in Hungary. Everyone says it's like a kart track. 
you never carted in your youth. You were much more two wheels, weren't you? Why were you so darn good in Hungary? Well, they've changed the track, Tom, now, so I'm not sure I'd be the, quite as good if I went back there now. Uh, I used to like it being a bit tighter and slippery. So I like drifting that car. You know, you can get the car to move and, and then you can get on the power and kind of adjust it through the corner. It's not one of those tracks like Barcelona where if you, if you have a slide in the corner, the time's gone. You know, just one you know, you push it too hard at Barcelona and you get slightly sideways. The corners are so long and such high speed that you lose tons of time. Whereas with Hungary, you could actually sort of slither around a bit and it didn't cost you any time. In fact, that, there was no option. You had to slither around. <laughs> mm. Well, given all that, do you see the pecking order being any different? Yeah, I think we will see differences. I think that, uh, as I said, uh, A1 ring was has got its straight line feature which which and braking feature, which you don't really get in Hungary. So... Yeah, cars with a cars with a good consistent aero balance will will shine around Hungary. Lewis has got seven wins there. It's hard to imagine him not being on top there. But watch out, Red Bull could actually again. I think with Max, they could actually cause some problems. Brilliant. Well, what a what a great place to end it. Fingers crossed that we have a, a good race this weekend. Damon, thank you so much for your time. Thank great you. Great to catch up. Yeah, and I'll be thinking of you with your with your great big cotton bud going up your nostril for the next week or two. But anyway, it's been, it's been a good couple of races to kick off this weird year that we've had. So, uh, so well done, F1. Well, great to hear from Damon there. And let's hope he's right about the change in the pecking order and it. The Hungaro ring might suit Red Bull a little better than the Red Bull ring. And Max Verstappen has absolutely everything crossed that the Red Bull performs differently and he can vault himself into world championship contention. But that's the F1 side of things. For you, Tom, a slightly weird week in prospect. (laughs) Well, as soon as uh, we stop this um, video conference call, AJ, I'm going to be getting in my car and driving the 400 kilometers from where I'm staying here in Styria, across the border into Hungary, into Budapest. Interestingly, I think there's going to be a just, it's going to be a convoy of Formula One transporters on the route (laughs) because we've all been told that we have to cross into Hungary at exactly the same place, a place called Hagi Salon. This is all a bit great escape, isn't it, to be honest? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're all going to cross the border. So I imagine there's going to be a queue there as well. And then we're going to get into Budapest tonight. And we've been told very strictly that we are not allowed to leave our hotels Uh, and if we do we risk get this imprisonment or a fine of 15 grand (laughs) neither of which is a great prospect and i've even googled hungarian prisons and they are the most overcrowded in europe (laughs) Uh, i think everyone will admire you for doing your research but what's the rule tom you get one phone call don't you so we can record the pod that way next week (laughs) we will deliver f1 nation next week come what may do not panic ladies and gentlemen even if tom is banged up in a hungarian prison (laughs) stuck in my hotel room. i'm staying in a new hotel as well so goodness knows of course those covid tests as well next one due on wednesday my nostrils can't wait so if you're a fan of people covering Formula One having a bit of a whinge, which I know would be totally unheard of, you're going to love the next week on social media. For now, we thank Damon Hill for being our guest today. You for listening. We will be back next Tuesday, same place, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review. If you subscribe as well, Tom and I will be very grateful indeed. Have a great week. We'll speak to you next week when F1 Nation returns. Thank you.